Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media, and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hailing from Illinois, this well-known composer in the animation world first made his mark in music as a member of experimental rock band The Meishi. He's the guy behind the theme song for Star vs. the Forces of Evil, composer of the score and songs for We Bear Bears and Gravity Falls, and today, I'm lucky to have him as a guest. And the composer is Brad Breek. Hello. Uh, so you're from Illinois, Brad. Uh-huh. Is Illinois like a musical place as a child? Were you surrounded by music? Uh, I, not necessarily. I mean, unless you count like going to church and listening to hymns. Um, yeah, my parents weren't musical. Um, I don't, I know, I mean, I live like an hour, I grew up like an hour south of Chicago. So I was in close proximity to a lot of good music, but I didn't really, you know, participate or experience that music until, you know, I started, I got started in, um, it's a grade school orchestra band, basically playing drums. That was kind of my first. I actually I took piano lessons a little bit when I was younger, but um, yeah, not super formal. My parents didn't really; they weren't musical, and they didn't really push me in any musical way. It was kind of very casual um, until I um, like close to the end of high school and was thinking about going to college for music and started to like actually take. I was a drummer, so take drum lessons and um, stuff like that. Yeah. So you took it seriously, I assume, then in in school. I I mean, I wasn't. Uh, I was in in band or whatever. Um, right. In like in jazz band in high school, but I never took drum lessons. Um, oh yeah, I was a drummer, but I never really took lessons. And you know, when I once I got to music school, it was like all these people have been taking lessons and they like know how to play. But I still was like, I mean, I had so, I was just so behind everyone, but I played in, you know, I played in like rock bands in, in school and stuff, but I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I just, once I got to school, it's like, I'm totally not prepared for this. When I got to college, like I went to a pretty serious, I went to this school called University of Denver, which is in Colorado. And they had, I went to a jazz conservatory program and it was a really good program. It was a great program. But um, when I got there, like all the drummers were gone. Like there, I was the only drummer in this like very serious jazz conservatory program. And I was not ready. And I just got my ass handed to me just daily. It was like, it was like, you know, the movie Whiplash, right? Oh yeah. It felt like that. It was like very similar. It was very like, uh, I hear, I hear like I've seen some people like musicians, other musicians who've gone through those programs say like, oh, it's not, that's not realistic. It's not what it's like. It was very close to my experience. Like um, I was cussed at, you know, I was yelled at, like the not my tempo thing was like verbatim, something that happened to me constantly. Um, Like I had a really rough time. Like I still think that I was psychologically damaged. Like just, I I don't know. I I got pretty good in in certain aspects, but, um, but I realized like, you know, maybe a year or two in, I was like, I was just never going to be a jazz drummer. It was like, I'm never going to, this is not, 
the right thing for me. Like I'm never, I like when I going into school, I was like, I want to be a studio drummer. I want to be like a famous drummer or something. And very like every year, you know, I don't know. Did you go through like a kind of, what kind of, did you go to music school? Yeah. I mean, I went to the NYU uh, Clive Davis program, oh, okay. which is this kind of pop thing, but I did Berkeley's uh, five week summer program in high school. Oh yeah. So you're and legit. That was, well, <laughs> it was funny because I wanted to be, I mean, what, Steve Vai, John Patricia, any of those like rocker, rocker bros. And then I remember studying with someone who's like, you know, you're not just going to play guitar solos all day. You're not going to make <laughs> right. any money doing that. I was like, huh, you know, he's got a point. Uh, but the thing too was I was in a band at that point and I found that I actually liked being in the studio more than like playing shows and having said that, I'd love to play like a couple shows a year, but there's just something so fun about being in the studio and just creating music. Right. And that was the part I liked was yeah. just the making of the music. Yeah. I just remember being in the jazz program and, you know, every year at the be- or at the beginning of each semester or whatever, there would be auditions for the different ensembles. Right. And I and the first year I was in all the ensembles, like all like the studio, you know, jazz orchestra, like all the, and then the next year, like some drummers came in and suddenly I was in like the shitty ensembles. <laughs> it was like, okay, I see what's going on here. And then it was like, so I, every year I thought, okay, I'm practicing hard. Like this year I'm going to move up to the, like the good ensembles. And I never did. Like it was, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't in bad ensembles, but I wasn't moving up to the like top tier, like stuff. And it was like, okay, like, I see what's going on here. You know what I mean? Like sure, the dreams are getting crushed. Yeah. Slowly. And, <laughs> and I, I honestly, like, this is something I tell people a lot, but like, I think it really worked to my advantage that I was not a great, uh, like I wasn't a, just a beast of a musician, like, because I think I'm a creative musician and I have ideas. And if I had just been a shreddy musician, not to like discount the people who are great players at that school. But a lot, there are some people who like went, left that school in the middle of the program and went to like Manhattan School of Music or like Berkeley or something because they were sick players, right? They went to New York. It's like, I'm going to go to New York now and I'm going to be a jazz heavyweight, right? I don't know if those guys are making a living as musicians now. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, especially right now where the gig economy is shut down. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? Like after school, it was like, they went to New York and they busted their butts and like they were insane players, like really great players. But like you have to be so good and so special as a musician. It's not even a matter of being good. You know, you have to have this X factor thing to be like what to be a jazz musician who's making a good living, you know, or to be someone who's in jazz magazines or like who's really making a difference, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. It's not to put down anyone's path, but it's just like. I kind of feel like it was a blessing that I wasn't a little bit better as a drummer because if I would have been a little better, I probably would have chased that dream harder and would have missed the thing that I'm actually good at, which is like making weird shit, you know, like um, doing my my weird bullshit that's like wrong and not technically, you know, I don't know, whatever it should, but I have my, I think I have my own voice in some ways. And that kind of comes from me not having like nailed it. You know what I mean? Um, sure. I don't know. I, I have this like ongoing thing with myself that, uh, you know, just about the virtues of not being a virtuoso, you know, like, you know, they say like the gaps in your technique are where your style emerges. And I have so many gaps in my technique and my training that I feel like I have to fill it in with all this, like, you know, my own shit. Um, I don't know. Not to say that I'm doing anything super original, but, you know. 
Well, <laughs> a lot of um, pop producers I know are just not proficient at any one instrument. Yeah. And I realized that, that that's okay. And some of them make the coolest music, even if they don't know anything about theory. Um, same with composers, too. I mean, I feel like it's funny where composers look down upon people in the pop world, but then you listen to some things some like newbie makes and it's like the same pop chord progression, just using orchestral instruments and they think they're better. Right. Else. Or if you listen to like, think of like, I don't know, an A-list compo- film composer that we, we you know, whatever, we, we idolize. If you ask them to make uh, a really cool, an interesting pop track, they're probably not going to be able to. Like, it's going to sound, it's going to sound whack. You know what I mean? Like, because sure. it's just a different skill set, you know? Yeah, I mean- it's funny because you could probably just read a, I mean, there are so many books on songwriting, but there's that next level of like understanding, okay, here's a, like, I need an intro. It's this many bars. There's a verse, pre-chorus. Because at the end of the day, it's intro, maybe, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, maybe half the size pre-chorus, and then another chorus, and then some whatever you want to do, guitar, solo, bridge, who don't, no one cares. And then one last chorus that's twice as long. But to make that good, it's so hard. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, it's like, I mean, like one. My Timbaland is like God to me. He or for a long time he was just like I was just obsessed with Timbaland, and uh, it's just like I don't know. He's not a musician. He doesn't like he can't shred on keys or guitar or anything. But he, the stuff that he does is like no one can do that. Like the old, like especially his old stuff, like old stuff, like back with Missy Elliott and. Um, you watch that video of him playing like his beat ideas to Jay Z. That YouTube video. Um, I'm just obsessed with that video, but it's just like no one else could do that, you know. <laughs> like for sure. So, anyhow, so you you graduate school and then you go into playing in this band, the Meishi, or was that something that started while you were still studying? Uh, I so I graduated from University of Denver with a at the very end I switched to a jazz composition degree, which is like because I started getting into composition at the very end and whatever. Then I went to Cal Arts for an MFA. Um, which is a school in Southern California that is also has a very famous animation school. Uh, a lot of people from Pixar and stuff come out of there. Um, so I was doing like a experimental, uh, it was called composition new media there, which was mostly, I was playing with Max MSP. I don't know if you know that program. I love Ableton and Max for live and yeah, it, yeah. Max MSP in college. Yeah, it's like pre Ableton, uh, um, <laughs> But I remember when Ableton came out when I was at school and it was like a game changer. But um, yeah, so I did that. And then after that, uh, I, I met the members of that band, this band, the Meishi there. So like my last year, I started playing in that band. And after school, one of the members of the Meishi was working as an assistant to the one of the Dust Brothers. I don't know if you remember the Dust Brothers. They did like Beck, early Beastie Boys. They did the Fight Club soundtrack. And like in the 90s, late 90s or yeah 90s they were like the shit like just the best coolest producers um anyway so i got a job as an assistant for one of them through my bandmate so that was my first job out of school and that was a great job because i got to uh it was rough because i was like i was like felt like i was hot shit out of cal arts like but it was humbling to suddenly you know be someone's assistant and it, but I got my kind of Pro Tools chops together. I learned a lot about producing when I was working for him. I got to um, make music. I got to do a bunch of commercials for him. We did the Tenacious D movie. 
um, right. when I worked there and I got to write a bunch of score for that as well as make some songs. Um, yeah, that was, that was a great experience. Um, I mean, at the time I didn't appreciate it at all. I was just like entitled and then, you know, like early twenties, like super entitled, um, whatever, but I got a lot out of it after that. I, uh, at one point I just like lost my mind and like quit and then went, it was a fine job. I just like was just a brat. Um, and I got a job uh, working as a composer for a jingle house called Mophonics. And for a few years, I just did um, ad music. Um, Mophonics was my first internship ever. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. I love the whole team there. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. When was that? Well, I let's see. It was in college. My It was between my freshman and sophomore year that summer. And I was just a huge Foster the People fan. And I was like, Mark Foster is so good at music. And then I was thinking, because at that point, I didn't know I wanted to be a composer for film and TV. I just wanted to like focus on the pop music thing. And I figured he probably got so good at his hook writing by just doing these ads all the time. I didn't know anyone in music really at that point. And I called up the office in New York, uh, spoke to, I guess it was Amanda then. And I was like, hey, I, I, like an NYU student, I don't know if you do internships, like I'd love to send my resume in, and then like long story short, I just like kept following up, and then they were like, "Sure, come by for an interview," and then started interning there like a couple weeks later. And oh, that's great. amazing! So that was that would have been after I was there because I think Mark Foster was there after I had already left. But um, well, that's awesome. awesome. Well, it's a small world. Yeah, I love those guys. They're like they're so nice and generous. Like they gave me like a good salary, like right, which they didn't need to do, and. Eventually they had to take it away because they were paying me too much. And, um, but they, yeah, I like, I feel like I cut my teeth there doing, uh, I just did a lot as I did some really good ones. I did like the first MacBook air commercial for Apple. And like, that was a huge deal. Um, yeah, it was a good experience. Um, oh, yeah. I encourage any composer to get into ad writing cause it just trains you to not be precious about anything and just to make music so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, hard. it's just, um, I don't think I'm cut out for it because it's such a a grind in a specific way. You know, like you have to just keep the failure. It doesn't matter how good you are. Your failure rate is going to be very high. <laughs> and um, it's just a lot. It's it's hard. Yeah. I don't know. So I guess through all that, though, you realized that you wanted to write music for media and write music to picture. Well, I, I had been thinking about like, it's funny. I remember like my first day at CalArts, like. I don't, I, I don't know why I have this clear memory, like being in the lobby of CalArts my first day and being aware of this composer, Guy Moon. I don't know if you know him. I remember like, I want to be, I thought like, oh, I want to have a career like Guy Moon. Like, I just want to do all the fucking cartoons because I bet that pays really well and I bet it's really fun. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what happened. Not that I'm like the, the guy, the way I think he was doing so much stuff, but like, you know, I just... Uh, Somehow, I think in the back of my mind, it was my goal to do this. And I don't know why um, or where that came from. But I mean, yeah, so I like I was interested in film composing, but I was all along. I was more interested in being a pop songwriter. Like, that's still what I wish what I would like to be doing. Um, but I just kind of got sidetracked. And, you know, it was like I kept getting so much work as, and I felt like it was I had to keep doing it. Um, you know, it's like I'm lucky to be getting work. So I didn't I just could never find time to keep getting into the songwriting thing. Um, but yeah, that uh, I kind of wanted to be a pop producer all along. And um, 
that's one reason I did the Dust Brothers job because, you know, he was producing pop songs and stuff. Um, and I've done a little bit of that, of that along the way, but I never really got into like the co-write world and, you know, stuff like that. For sure. But it's interesting that a lot of your your scores too do sound poppy in the sense of instrumentation and like even the Gravity Falls theme song, like there's so many hooks in there just instrumentally. And I'm sure a lot of that informed, or even if you're not able to, to even if you weren't able to use it in pop songwriting, it still was very important to where you are now. Yeah, those def, I mean, those, you know, pop production techniques are really useful in scoring for TV, you know, obviously. So, um, and then let's see. So, what was the first like film or TV show that you remember working on uh, by yourself? And when was that transition, I guess, from going to from Mophonics to just going like independent and focusing on the film and TV writing? Yeah. Um, so I, at CalArts, um, I met my wife at CalArts. She was in the animation program. And one of her friends asked me to score a short she was doing at Nickelodeon. Um, this was like a few years after we had graduated, I think. So I did, I did two shorts for her at Nickelodeon. And when I was there, I was just at Nickelodeon for a meeting and noticed some art for a show they were working on. And I was like, that show looks really cool. Can I pitch on that? You know? And they were like, okay, sure, whatever. And then, so I, that show was called Fanboy and Chum Chum. It was the, I just did a show for Nickelodeon and Netflix called Glitch Text. The creator of that show's name is Eric Robles. And he was the creator of Fanboy and Chum Chum as well. Anyways, sorry, that's confusing. But um, yeah, they, they let me pitch on the theme song. I won that. And at the time, I think they, this happens less often now, but it used to be the case that if you won the theme song, they would just give you the composer job too, which um, doesn't make any sense to me because they're totally different skill sets. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's the way they were doing it a lot back then, at least at Nickelodeon and at uh, Disney too for a while. That seemed like they were doing that. But yeah, so I, I won that theme song and um, got to score the show. And we did two seasons of that show. Gotcha. And did you just like working in animation or have you wanted to do other types of projects? outside of that world too. I did. So like soon after, maybe a year after that started, I got a live action show at MTV um, called Awkward, which I got, um, I don't know, it's an illustrative anecdote for aspiring composers. Uh, a friend was a producer at, sorry, my friend's wife was uh, a producer at MTV. And I just, you know, told her I would love to try to work on an MTV show. And she just gave my name to the music department there. Um, and so I had a meeting with them. It was just, you know, whatever, just a general meeting. And I would just send them music all the time and bug them like constantly. <laughs> like every few months I would just be like, hey, do you have any projects? And I hadn't done anything. Like I didn't have any track record. I hardly had any music, but eventually they let me pitch on a show and um, and on Awkward and I ended up winning that. I just like... I feel like my first two jobs that got me going, it was just because I was persistent and I asked, you know, I was like, can I pitch on this? And that got me in the door. So I always tell people like, you know, ask, you know. <laughs> For sure. You do need to make it known to the world that you want to do something. Otherwise, no one's going to even think to offer you an opportunity in whatever it is that you want to be doing. So it's very interesting that you're so persistent. And I find that that's something that a lot of people are shy about, but it's not like anyone would really mad at you for asking yeah i mean and i always try to do it in the spirit of like genuine enthusiasm about the project too like if it's 
Like that first, the first Nickelodeon show fanboy and Chum Chum, it was like, that art looks super cool. Like what's going on with that show? Do you need a composer? Can I pitch? Blah, blah, blah. You know, like if you show people enthusiasm about what they're doing, um, obviously they like that and they might, you know, want to at least, I don't know, maybe include you, you know, or at least think about it. Um, right. They'll just stick around in their mind. And if, even if they're not looking for a composer at that moment, they'll remember that you were interested. Totally. Yeah. So on that topic of enthusiasm, uh, what like inspires you musically these days? Like what have you been listening to? Or is there any type of gear you've been messing around with? Um, I'm always like, I'm a very obsessive gear person. Like I'd love gear. <laughs> I have way too much of it. Um, and most of it, I never even get to use for my job because you know how just like, composing for TV and stuff. Uh, the deadlines are so fast. You have to kind of, you know, I have to kind of stick to my template to keep things moving. Um, there's no time for modular synths right now. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just built a studio in the past of uh, couple of years and I, um, and finally getting the point where it's all wired up so I can actually like use everything and it's just ready to go. Um, and that's been really inspiring. So I'm just trying to get through the work I have now, the projects I have now so I can, um, just be inspired by my the studio and using all this gear that I've been collecting um, and using my my studio. But um, I mean, musically, like I'm always like I actually went through a few years when I was like really busy. Like at one point, I had like five shows going at once, and I would just like um, would never listen to music because I was just so burnt out on it. Um, I would just listen to podcasts, which is still mostly what I listen to, but. Um, but in the past couple of years, I've gotten really excited about music again. And I just like, I've listened to whatever's uh, coming out. Like I'm always inspired by the new pop music that's coming out and um, experimental music. And um, I'm a pretty voracious like consumer of the new stuff that's coming out. I don't like, I'm not really someone who is, uh, you know, nostalgic in terms of music and convinced that old music is better you know music was better back whenever like i always think whatever's coming out is interesting and exciting um so sure yeah for me this past two weeks of just being inside mostly it's been funny just watching how tiktok is shaping music and really paying more attention to that finally <laughs> that's yeah i need to get like i'm aware of tiktok but i don't quite understand how uh I don't know how music gets into the, you know, whatever, into the flow there, how it works. And in terms of the idea of just like having everything ready um, for for writing. So like on a show like We Bear Bears or Back to Gravity Falls, did you just have like certain instruments like ready in one side of the room that you could just go to? Or I don't know if a lot of it's like virtual instruments, though it seems pretty live. So 99% of what I'm doing... Um is in the box, uh, but I'll, I'll record in, you know, guitar and bass um, and sometimes some synths, but mostly it's in the box just because it's like, you know, there's just so much music that needs to be cranked out. It's better to, it's easier for me to just have it all. Um, I have the template there. Um, it's kind of pre-mixed, you know, I just have to write and um, output my stems. So I'm not like trying to get a good guitar sound or getting a good drum sound or even like playing with like an analog synth and then I have to come back to that cue and figure out what the patch was and stuff. But Gravity Falls, like I would record acoustic guitar, but that's about the only, and sometimes like maybe shakers or something, but uh, otherwise it was in the box. I mean, on the theme song, like on theme songs is when I and get to use a lot of stuff because it's, you know, it's like 
theme songs are so hard. Like, I feel like I'm always trying to find inspiration or something to trigger it, you know, something to get the idea and make it unique. So that's when I like do use a lot of gear because um, I'm just trying to spark something new or, and also on pitches, like if I'm pitching for a composer job, like a lot of times I'll use, I'll actually use a lot of the gear just to get something happening, you know? But yeah, as a TV composer, you know, like you live and die by your template. Like, so for each show, I'll create a new template. You know, I work in Pro Tools, so I'll have a big set of sounds that I've created specifically for that project to give it kind of its own sonic identity. And I don't like add or take away from that too much once I get it settled because um, I want it to remain consistent. And I mean, it depends on what kind of show it is, but um, yeah, that's basically, yeah. There's a set of sounds that are kind of defined for the project. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that because now that I think about it, most of the films I do, I might take out like the analog synths or guitars, but on TV, you're right. Actually, like now thinking back through all these cues I did, like the Pro Tools ones, most of them are just like contact instruments or whatever my favorite Yuhi synths. Uh huh. I do sample a lot though on projects. So if there's a synth I like that's a piece of hardware and I can't easily make that type of sound in the computer, I'll just probably waste three hours of my life sampling it and then yeah <laughs> but it does save me sometimes where that sound does come back and then you can just move one thing yeah totally there. yeah i'll try i try to do that sound design stuff at the beginning like all that like this show i just did glitch text like it's there's a lot of chiptune stuff so i just spent like weeks at the beginning building contact patches and sampling stuff and just creating soft synth patches and I had some friends or other composers um, do some sound design for me too and integrated that into my my template. And I felt really, that I probably spent more time than any other show on that one really trying to create a, you know, a, a distinct palette. And I really feel like it is like its own thing. Like, I think it's pretty, I'm really proud of how it turned out. Like sonically, I think it's it's its own sound. Gotcha. It's nice when you have these like little sonic elements that, set each show apart it seems like you you do a pretty good job of that too just creating or I, I assume you don't just have the same instruments in your template for for most projects that it is a fresh thing every time yeah i mean there'll be some overlap you know as you know like the orchestra i'll tr i'll try to shape change the orchestra you know the the orchestra mock-up um the um the libraries a little bit to give it its own sound you know and and that's kind of sometimes an emergent property of just doing a bunch of cues so I try not to use the exact same orchestra, but a lot of times it'll be, there are some sounds obviously that you know work really well, especially in an orchestral context. Like I, I've been using the same kind of general percussion uh, patch. It's from like East West for like on all my, I've always used it just because there's something about the cymbal crash that sounds realistic to me. Um, I should probably stop using that one, but. No, I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah. <laughs> But like I changed my timpani patch for this project and that was like a huge deal because I'd never changed my timpani patch. But I like now I'm the old timpani patch I used to use. I'm like, that sounds like shit. I can't believe I didn't change before now. <laughs> I guess we'll go into the, the last segment for the podcast, which is tech talk. It's a segment where I list off a tech topic and you say as much or as little as you want about it. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. Starting with DAW. Okay. Yeah. I, I work in Pro Tools um, just because it's what I'm comfortable with. I don't. I always tell like people starting out, you should just make music, like do whatever is comfortable with you. You should use that. But if you can change, I would use Cubase. If I could go back in time, I would use Cubase. 
Um, and I wish I worked in Cubase. I tried to switch to Cubase for like a, a Nickelodeon movie and I almost killed myself. Like I lost my mind. So I had to go back, but, um, Sure. Every Pro Tools yeah. composer I know says they wish they started in Cubase. <laughs> That's fine. It's really fun. Because I use, I mean, I'm terrible. I did a movie recently where I did some of the cues in Logic, some in Cubase, wait, Logic, Cubase, some in Ableton, and oh, that wow. was a, bit of a nightmare, and then a couple in Pro Tools because it was like conforms. And then I looked at the session sheet, it was like four different DAWs for this one. Oh my God. Yeah, that's scary. That's crazy. <laughs> that's intense. I, yeah, I just, I'm just like so comfortable in Pro Tools and I finally gotten to the place where now that it has folders too, like, oh yeah, I'm super excited. Cool. It's that. just, the only thing is it like really cannot handle a big orchestral template. Like my template for like my last show was like, I don't know, 1500 tracks or something. You and 1500 tracks in Pro Tools. Yeah. And, and then like Pro Tools cannot do that. Like, well, it, you know, most of them are MIDI, MIDI tracks or MIDI instruments. I assume like Vienna in there as well. I I have run the I, I run a, two slave machines. Gotcha. Okay. So for most of that stuff, but it's still like even with the slave machines, it just Pro Tools just sucks. Like for that many MIDI tracks, it cannot do it. Um, like today, I'm fucking fighting with Pro Tools. Like for the past four hours, like I've been fighting with Pro Tools. Um, but I still like it's. I'm so comfortable with it. I can move fast, and I do have it kind of set up now to where I can navigate through my big dumb template really quickly. And you know, I don't know. I'm. I can. I can edit really fast. And there are a couple MIDI features I wish it had, but it's not that big a deal. But yeah, for sure, you killed it with that one. Uh, the next one here on the list, uh, kit. Kit. Yeah. Drum. Uh, drum kit. Drum kit. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I tend to use just for the work that I'm doing, like addictive drums a lot because uh, I'm just comfortable with it. Like, like if I'm doing something that's like pop or hip hop, I'll use samples and usually in battery because I'm more of like a I like to play stuff in on the keyboard. I'm like a keyboard drummer. I don't I don't like to use um, I can't use the like pads and I don't like to draw in stuff like I have to like play it in. Um, but yeah, I use addictive drums for most stuff. Uh, if it's like rock or um, or even like an 80s thing. Uh, and I usually like layer like two or three addictive drum kits and then um, send them to a bus and process them together. But I usually find I usually find that one of them on its own is not enough for me <laughs> to get it like the sound that I want. So I'll layer different kinds of them to kind of create. And then sometimes I'll add samples to that too. But um yeah, and then usually, like, so for each, any project, I'll have, like, several different addictive drum kits in my template and then some battery kits as well and kind of, like, use them together. For sure. Uh, we got orchestral sample library. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Like, I couldn't pick one. Like, for me, I have to... Uh, I really mix from a lot of different ones. And I, I like when people ask me, like young or starting out composers ask me which one to get. I usually say like one of the, um, you know, like Spitfire Albion or like the with the orchestral tools. Uh, I can't remember what they're called, Inspire or something. Yeah, Metropolis. Any of those? Yeah, like I think those are all great. But I tend to, I always feel like I can't get what I want out of, and I'm a terrible synthestrator. I don't think that I'm good at it, creating like orchestral, realistic orchestral mockups at all. Um, 
and I just, I'm just not a good orchestral writer. <laughs> I can do my, my thing, but it's pretty dumb. But I, yeah, I have to mix and match and layer a lot of them to get it to sound the way I want. And I do find like, there are some great sounding samples out, out there, but I still find like, like, they're not musical in the way, like, I just want to like, like whatever. If I want to play a John williams this big brass theme or something, none of the sample libraries that I'm aware of, and I have almost all of them, will let you just play it. Like you have to, you have to go back and like nudge it or like, you know, do key switching or play with the um, velocities to get it to work. And I just, I hope we get to the point where you could just play in, you know, like a theme and it sounds the way you heard it in your head, but we're not, we're not there. You know what I mean? For sure. We're a far away. It's a lot of MIDI CC drawing. And yeah. And I just really like, I, that's stuff. the other yeah. thing is I'm too lazy to do that. So I, like I have my little hacks to get around doing that, but I almost never key switch in the middle of something or like do all that CC stuff. Cause I'm just like, I just don't have the patience for it. And I, I don't know, I just can't do it. Like, I'm just like, I, I, I start to lose my mind really quickly. Um, yeah. Well, I'm sure that helps with the immediacy of just trying to get a good idea out, just playing like one patch as opposed to thinking about like, I don't know, like a super intense line. And maybe that comes back to yeah. this idea of just like not being super technical, but just focusing on the tune. Well, the problem is like it limits the kind of tune you're going to play because if I, I tend to write to the samples because I'm too lazy to like, like if I think of, sometimes you have to, I mean, sometimes I have to, like if I like think of the theme first and then try to execute it and then wrestle with the samples to get it to do what you want it to do. Like um, sometimes you have to do that, but um, mostly I write, so I don't have to do that. But then, you know, you're writing, you know, the tool you're using is dictate what dictating what you write, which is terrible, you know? Um, but at, also like, there's just so much to get done it's, I don't know. It's like, I just, I want to get done and I want to have, you know, I want to eat lunch, you know? <laughs> lunch is nice as opposed to rebuilding a Cubase template every yeah. <laughs> two weeks. Um, well, cool. You nailed it there. And now I think we're pretty much wrapped up. What, what else do you have coming out that you want to tell the world about? Um, that's basically, I'm like, I, I'm finishing this. There's a couple of things that I'm like, might be happening, but I, that I'm not sure if are happening and I can't talk about. But I, honestly, my my plan after this glitch text was to take a break. I kind of go on sabbatical and write songs, work on songwriting and like practice because I really just want to have a break and do my own music. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do, but I might get sucked back into some projects soon, but I can't really talk about what they are yet. <laughs> gotcha. Well, amazing. Thank you so much for being on here. Thanks Brad. for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.